Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, my fellow Believers, and welcome back to the Combat Bets podcast on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron, and I'd like to start out this week's episode by recapping UFC Fight Night 169, a flyweight main event between Joseph Benavides and Devinson Figueroa. And this fight was for the vacant flyweight title that had since been vacated by Henry Cejudo, who last defended his 125-pound belt against TJ Dillashaw, but his next fight will be at 135, and for now Cejudo has vacated his 125-pound belt, and then the bout between Joseph Benavides and Devinson Figueroa was supposed to determine who would be the new UFC flyweight champion. Unfortunately for Figueroa, he did come in overweight, weighing in at about 126.5 pounds, while the flyweight limit is 125 pounds. Joseph Benavides did make weight, and the fight did go on as scheduled. However, because Figueroa did miss weight, he would not be able to win the UFC flyweight title if he did end up beating Benavides. And going into the fight, in my pre-fight analysis, I did think that Figueroa would have a significant size and strength advantage over the smaller Benavides, and that proved to be true. And in the first round, Benavides nearly got submitted, but because of some beautiful scrambling from him, he was able to avoid an early submission victory for Figueroa and was able to scramble out of it and last until the second round. But a huge headbutt opened up a huge cut on Benavides, and then Figueroa was able to take advantage of this and land a few more punches that put Benavides down, and the fight was soon stopped after that. And Benavides blamed it on the headbutt, saying that the headbutt altered everything in the fight, And while the headbutt did open up a huge cut on Benavides, Figueroa was still having the better of the exchanges and definitely showed why he is such a huge flyweight. I mean, he looked really big in there for a guy that weighed in a little over 125 pounds. And Dana White is actually going to schedule an immediate rematch between Figueroa and Benavides for the flyweight title. So hopefully for that rematch... Figueroa can actually make weight this time and actually win the title with some validity. I was impressed with not only Figueroa's great size for a flyweight, but also his strength and his speed. Because even though he was the bigger man in there, it didn't look like he was slower than Benavides or any less explosive. And for me, it only seemed like a matter of time until Figueroa would get the finish just because he was so much more physically imposing in there, and I didn't think that Benavides had the requisite defense to really keep Figueroa off of him for a full five-round championship-level fight. And in the rematch, Benavides is really going to have to work on his defense and attempt to not get taken down like he did in the first round of their first fight. And then for Figueroa, he's just going to have to do more of the same. Keep on moving, looking for angles, looking to land that big punch. Because while he does have the size and the uh, strength advantage, Benavides does have the experience advantage as he has beat Henry Cejudo in the past and only lost to some great fighters in the past. So it's definitely possible that Benavides could win their rematch, but I'm still going to have to go with Figueroa just because of his size advantage and being such a big man at 125 pounds. 
and Figaro's only loss has come to, come to Jesse or Formiga. So maybe we could see a rematch between Formiga and Figueroa uh, if Figueroa does indeed beat Benavidez in the rematch. But for now, in the flyweight division in the UFC at 125 pounds, it looks like Figueroa could be the best. But there's still a lot of options out there. And definitely another fighter could step in and beat him and change the whole picture of the division. So we'll see how that plays out and see if Henry Cejudo does indeed decide to move back down to 125 pounds and to try and win that belt back that he did win in a great performance against Demetrius Johnson. So for now, because Figueroa missed weight, the flyweight title remains vacant, and we'll see who does indeed come up with that title, and hopefully both fighters can make weight in their next fight, and we'll see how that plays out because it's usually all action as these athletes are usually moving at just a different speed than most fighters because of their small stature and excellent MMA skills. It really is a sight to see some great flyweights go at it. So I hope you enjoyed that main event, that flyweight main event, because Figueroa is a huge guy at 125 pounds and he has great potential in this division to do some more great things if he can continue on the winning track. And then moving on from the UFC and back into boxing, we had the strongest card of the year, a Dizan card from Frisco, Texas. And there were four great fights on this card. Let me start with the heavyweight fight. Joseph Parker, a heavyweight from New Zealand, made his return to the ring this past Saturday against Shondell Winters, an American fighter and beaten by TKO in the fifth round. And what really impressed me about this performance from Parker is that often when we see Parker fight, he's usually more of a defensive fighter that's able to use his head movement and ring movement to dodge out of the way of punches and land his own counterattacks. But against Shondell Winters, it seemed like he really didn't respect him that much because it didn't seem like he was worried about any punches really coming back and actually hurting him. So he was really able to make this a phone booth fight and really push up against Winters and use his physical size advantage to beat the smaller Winters. And that's what ended up happening as in the fifth round, he caught him with a beautiful straightforward punch that uh, knocked Winters back. And he was just getting beat up before that as Parker is really one of the best heavyweights in the world, as he's been in there with some great fighters, and his only career losses are to Anthony Joshua and Dillian White. Both of those losses were by unanimous decision. So, And he also has a majority decision win over Andy Ruiz Jr., and also a unanimous decision win over Carlos Takam. So it's clear that Parker is a very quality heavyweight and in this performance against Winters who is a step below Parker he was really able to show that he deserves more big fights in the future and if Parker can put on these more exciting offensive type performances in the future then it will set himself up better for getting bigger fights because his performance against Anthony Joshua really was not all that inspiring. He was really more of a defensive fighter and really wasn't able to land that many of his punches. And hopefully this change in tactics that we saw against a lesser fighter in Shondell Winters could perhaps be a sign of things to come for Joseph Parker in future fights if he can combine his great defensive instincts with some more offensive firepower, it could really turn him into a very dangerous fighter, even more so than he has been previously. Much like Tyson Fury was able to employ that tactic against Deontay Wilder in their rematch, Tyson Fury was predominantly known as a defensive fighter, And then in the rematch against Deontay Wilder, he already took it to him and was pretty much all offense. So we'll see if maybe Parker watched the tape of that and perhaps was inspired by that performance and put on a similar one against Shondell Winters and got a TKO in the fifth round. And if you haven't seen that fight, check it out because it really is a different Joseph Parker in there. 
and it could be a, a sign of great things to come for him in the future. And then in the next fight on this great card, we got the privilege to witness one of the fights of the year between Jay Harris and the current WBC flyweight title champion in Julio Cesar Martinez, who is a Mexican fighter. And this fight was really all action between two very small fighters. And Martinez, the current champion, ended up retaining his belt by unanimous decision after 12 rounds. Jay Harris was really getting beat up early in this fight. Harris is a British fighter who really does have some potential as he still is pretty young and could still get better. And then against Martinez in what was a world title shot for Harris, uh, Harris really acquitted himself well as he was a huge underdog going into this fight but really made it quite a close fight over the course of 12 rounds. Early on, Martinez was getting the better of him, able to land his combination punching with more accuracy. And then later on, Harris was able to back him up with some few stiff jabs, followed up with some beautiful rights to the body that seemed to really bother bother Martinez. But the thing about uh, Julio Cesar Martinez is that he fights in such an unorthodox style that you really wouldn't teach it to anyone because it's not proper fundamentals. He comes in with a lot of winging punches, a lot of hooks that come loop from the side and come back to the head. He doesn't really use a lot of straightforward on punching like jabs or straight rights. He really likes to come around the guard of his opponent and look for shots to the side. If you watch the fight, you'll know more about what I'm talking about. And he really is like a whirling dervish in there. All action, all the time, really seems to have great endurance and was really always pushing the pace in there against Harris and wasn't really concerned about anything that Harris could throw back at him. So if you haven't watched that fight between Martinez and Harris, I really recommend you check it out because right now Martinez is a young world champion that is still getting better and ascending. So we'll see how great of a little fighter he can be as he is uh, right now the flyweight title champion. If this champion keeps on putting more great performances and exciting performances like he did against Jay Harris, it's possible he could show up on some pound for pound lists in the near future. As Martinez is still a young fighter right now, he stands at five foot three, and with a 63-inch reach, and he's 25 years old. So 25 is right in the range of your athletic prime. So we'll see who Martinez fights next, because Dazan got a great signing in him. Because this little guy is always putting on exciting fights. So I encourage you to watch him when he does fight again. And if you haven't caught the fight against Jay Harris. It really is one of the fights of the year, an all-action battle between two opponents that did not want to lose. But ultimately, the power, the speed, the combination punching, the, all the landed punches of Martinez just proved too much for Jay Harris to get the decision against. Even though he did end up making it maybe a closer fight than most expected, as he did win a few rounds against Martinez. And then in the co-main event, we had the return of Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez taking on Khalid Yafi, and it was for Yafi's WBA Super Flyweight title, which Roman Chocolatito won from him via a TKO in the ninth round. And going into this fight, Yafi was actually the slight favorite as he is the younger fighter and still thought to be up and coming a British fighter of Yemeni descent, but it ended up that Yafi did not quite have the quality or the endurance to last 12 rounds against the great Roman Gonzalez. And it truly was a vintage performance from Gonzalez. I mean, he showed why he is one of the best inside fighters in the history of boxing, able to really get in there and find those angles both to the body and to the head to really subdue his opponent. And it, what ended up putting Yafi down for the final time in the twelfth, in the ninth round, excuse me, is a beautiful straight right 
right to the top of the head on the forehead, the, the temple area of Yafi that put him down. And it really didn't seem like he had his equilibrium back after that. And luckily, the referee called a stop to the fight. Because before that, in the eighth round, Roman Gonzalez also scored a knockdown. And that could have also signaled the end of the fight. But it really was just a precursor for that great right that uh, Roman Gonzalez was able to land in the ninth round to end the fight. And now, Roman Gonzalez has a lot of options for his next fight. I'd love to, love to see a rematch against Estrada or a rematch against Sorung Visay. So we'll see who Gonzalez fought next. But during his fight against Yafi, it truly is amazing the pace that Gonzalez is able to keep over the course of the fight. It seems like he never gets tired. And as the rounds keep going, it seems like he keeps getting stronger and stronger with each passing round. He doesn't seem to be getting weaker and weaker like most fighters do with each passing round, as Yafi seemed to be doing, as he seemed to lose a step after those first few rounds. And Yafi really had quite the bad strategy, I would say, going into this fight. He wanted to fight Gonzalez's fight and attempt to beat him at it. But for me, Yafi should have been using his reach advantage and his size advantage to try to make this fight on the outside. But really, most of this fight was fought at close range, which is exactly what Gonzalez loves to fight at. He loves to fight in close range because he's a an amazing inside fighter that can land punches to the body and to the head because of his short arms and short stature. He's re- really able to create angles that most boxers just can't because of their body type. And despite Yafi having the bigger frame in there, it's clear that Gonzalez was more agile and also quicker and had the better endurance. Chocolatito really looked like the Chocolatito of old with his constant ring movement, with his head movement, with his ability to get in and out of range. He, it was really just a, a great vintage performance from Roman Gonzalez and really showed why he is still one of the best boxers in the world. And it showed that after a loss, actually two losses to Sorong Visay, Roman Gonzalez didn't make any excuses like perhaps Deontay Wilder did after he lost to Tyson Fury. No, Gonzalez said, you know what? I lost. That's it. But I got back in the gym. I got back to what I love doing, which is boxing. And this is how I'm rewarded with a great win against a former world champion in Kal Yafi. And in the post-fight interview, Roman Gonzalez was really praising God saying that if you work hard, God will bless you. And this just showed in the fight because he really did get blessed with not only a great performance, but he also set himself up for some big fights in the future as he really does add a lot of star power to the smaller weight divisions that usually don't get the billing of the middleweights of the heavyweights in the boxing community. So hopefully Gonzalez is back to his old ways of being a just elite fighter in the sport. And it looked like he did that with a great win over Kyle Yaffe in the co-main event. And if you ask me, it was really the fight of the night. So check out both the Jay Harris and Martinez fight. And then also this fight between Gonzalez and Yaffe because they were both some great action fights. And then... Looking at the punch stats between Khalid Yafi and Chocolatito Gonzalez, Yafi landed 100 punches and threw 414 for a 24% connect rate, while Roman Gonzalez landed 174 punches and threw 674 punches for a 26% connect rate. Roman Gonzalez, let me repeat that one more time. He threw 674 punches in what ended up being a nine-round fight. That is absolutely ridiculous ring activity in there from the great Chocolatito. And then also looking at the final punch stats, Yafi landed 82 power punches and threw 295 
for a 28% connect rate, while Chocotito Gonzalez, excuse me, he landed 159 power punches and threw 515 for a 31% connect rate. So these numbers really show that Gonzalez is all about really getting those punches out there, a lot of punches, and it doesn't really matter if he lands all those punches. The fact that he's constantly throwing and constantly putting pressure on his opponent is often what gets him the win. And this was no different against Yaffe as he, he used his trademark come forward, come forward style to really beat Yaffe, beat him down, and end the fight before the judges got a chance to determine a winner by decision. So it was a great performance from Gonzalez, and we'll hopefully see more great performances from this legendary Nicaraguan fighter in the future. So if you haven't caught that fight, I really recommend you check it out. A great vintage performance from Chocolatito. And then moving on to the main event, we had Mikey Garcia taking on Jesse Vargas in a welterweight fight at 147 pounds. And it was really an interesting fight because early on, Vargas was winning the early rounds. He was able to land those looping punches. It looked like he might have had a bit of a speed advantage over Garcia. But Garcia is generally known as a very slow starter. And he really likes to use those early rounds to gauge his opponent and get his timing down. Much like you see Terrence Crawford doing in his fights. And after those first few rounds, you could see the tide kind of start turning because Garcia, Mikey Garcia, is really a very disciplined fighter. And it's not rocket science what he's trying to do in there. He really only has a few punches that he likes to throw. He uses a, a jab that is really a power jab that you could see was really doing damage to Vargas. But Garcia really, to me, has one of the best jabs in all of boxing, and he showed that once again against Vargas. So he uses that lead jab to set up his right hand. And those are really the only punches that Garcia is looking to throw, is his power jab that he uses to guide the fighter around the ring. And then that big right that he's looking to land to hopefully put his opponent down. And Garcia was actually able to use his jab to land that big right and it came in the fifth round when Jesse Vargas got knocked down and Vargas actually got hit in the side of the head in that fifth round and I felt like the fight really should have been stopped because after that punch Vargas was never really the same and after you get hit with a punch like that which really destroys your equilibrium and really you can't recover over the course of the next few rounds in the fight and unfortunately, we've seen examples in the past of when a fight isn't stopped that the boxers have actually unfortunately died in the aftermath of their fight. We saw this with Patrick Day and Maxine Dadadashov, a Russian fighter. And I really didn't want to see that same scenario play out for Jesse Vargas because after he got hit in the side of the head, he wasn't able to recover. You could see that his speed was slowed and that he wasn't throwing those same punches with the same amount of pop that he was in the early rounds. And give a lot of credit to Vargas as he actually did win some of those later rounds in the fight, like maybe the 10th and 12th round I thought Vargas had won. And give him a lot of credit for that because he got hit with an absolutely vicious right hand to the temple and was able to recover and not even get knocked out he was able to last the full 12 rounds and it ended up being a unanimous decision win for Mikey Garcia now I thought personally that Garcia was going to get him out of there after he knocked Vargas down in the fifth round or maybe the fight was going to be stopped right then and there as I thought it should have been because for me it's really scary to watch a fighter that looks like he could be concussed like he's not all there continuing to fight because boxing is not a safe sport it's one of the most dangerous in the world and these trainers these referees re really need to start taking more precautions to protect these fighters from themselves because I know Vargas wanted to continue fighting and sure he did win some of those later rounds but it's not worth having those long-term health effects really affect the rest of your life 
just because you were in there for a few more rounds than you needed to be. So hopefully Vargas can recover from this fight and hopefully he's fine going into his next fight because I would hate for anything bad to happen to him because the fight wasn't stopped. But moving on from that absolutely brutal right hand that Mikey Garcia was able to land, I thought that if Garcia had the power and maybe more size, he would have been able to get Vargas out of there. But I'm still not all the way convinced that Mikey Garcia should really be fighting at 147 pounds. I would love to see him fight back down at 140 pounds. And I'd like love to actually see him take on Jose Ramirez, one of the champions at 140. I think it would be an absolutely huge fight for Mexican boxing because both fighters are of Mexican descent. And a fight between Jose Ramirez and Mikey Garcia makes a lot of sense. Of course, after the fight, they were saying that Mikey Garcia could next take on Manny Pacquiao. And of course, that fight also makes sense as neither Mikey Garcia or Manny Pacquiao are big welterweights. They're actually quite small for the division. And of course, whenever you fight Pacquiao, it's going to do big money because he brings the fans out and he's one of the biggest names in boxing. So we'll see if Mikey Garcia versus Manny Pacquiao does get made sometime in the future. And then moving back to the fight between uh, Mikey Garcia and Jesse Vargas and looking at the power punch stats. Garcia landed 96 and threw 217 for a 44% connect rate. While Jesse Vargas threw 101, or landed 101, excuse me, and threw 388 for a 26% connect rate. So what this shows me is that Mikey Garcia is landing an astoundingly high percentage of his power punches, 44%. This shows me, and you could watch it in the fight, that Garcia really doesn't like to waste punches or waste energy. He's very conservative in the ring and very aware of what he's doing. There's not a lot of big movements that will really zap his energy. He's all about conserving his energy and just throwing the punches that he needs to and not throwing unnecessary punches that he knows he won't land because he knows that would tire him out even more. So you really have to respect Mikey Garcia's strategy of really only throwing the punches that he needs to and being very accurate with the punches that he does indeed land. It was an impressive performance against Mikey Gar- against Jesse Vargas, excuse me, but I still don't think that Garcia should keep fighting at welterweight, especially not the bigger welterweights like a Sean Porter, like an Errol Spence Jr., like a Keith Thurman. I think those guys might just be too big and have that size and strength advantage over Mikey Garcia. But a fight against a guy like Manny Pacquiao or a fight 140 pounds against Jose Ramirez, those fights start to make a lot more sense for Mikey Garcia. So we'll see how that plays out and who Dezan has Mikey Garcia fighting next. And then moving on from that great fight card, I thought it was really the fight card of the year so far with four amazing fights that I just recapped. And then if you didn't hear the news, let me tell you that the rematch date has been set between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. They're going to run it back for a third time boxing fans. And that date is set for July 18th. And it will be from the MGM Grand Garden Arena once again. So we have a big summertime fight to look forward to in a few months time. So when we get closer to that fight, I'll preview it even more. But as I said previously, I still think that Tyson Fury would have the edge in their third fight, which, as I just said, will be July 18th. I just want to get that announcement out of the way before I moved on to some previews for some fights that are coming up this weekend. And I'd like to start with a Fox card on March 7th from New York. And in the main event, we have Adam Konaki taking on Robert Hellenius. It's a 12-round fight, and it's for the WBA heavyweight eliminator. And looking at the odds for this fight, they're not all that close. Konaki is a huge favorite at minus 2,500, while Robert Hellenius is a big underdog at plus 1,000. 
So we'll have to see how that heavyweight fight plays out. It should be interesting. And looking at Adam Konaki's record, he's actually undefeated with 20 wins, with 15 coming by knockout and 5 by decision. And he has some quality wins recently over Chris Ariola, then Gerald Washington by TKO in the second round. He has a Union Miss Decision win over Charles Martin as well. A TKO win over Arthur Spielka. So he has some quality wins. And looking at Robert Hellenian's record, and this guy is, is a Finnish fighter actually. And he has actually three losses in his career. His losses have come to Johan Dupont's and then Dillian White, a 12-round unanimous decision loss. And then a KO loss to Gerald Washington in the 8th round. So they do have some common opponents here as both fighters have fought Gerald Washington in the past. However, quite different results for both of them. For Adam Konaki, he won via a second round knockout. And then for Robert Hellenius, he lost to Washington via an eighth round knockout. So that kind of tells you where these two fighters are at in, tor- in terms of their quality. And watching the tape back of these two heavyweights, it's clear that Konaki is the higher quality fighter and he should be able to get the win. Konaki is a great inside fighter that really likes to push up against his opponents to put a lot of pressure on them as he rains down shots with his great jab. And then he has some punches that are from very close angles that are sometimes hard to see. Oftentimes when Konaki's fighting, it looks like he's just relaxing in there. And then all of a sudden, he'll rain down a few shots on his opponent that maybe his opponent didn't see coming. And is often the reason why he can score so many knockdowns and knockouts. Konaki is really a, a pressure fighter at the heavyweight division, a Polish fighter that's going to be very hard for Robert Hellenius to beat. And Adam Konaki has definitely more knockout power than his opponent, and I expect he will get the knockout against Robert Hellenius. I'm going to say a mid-round knockout, a fifth or sixth round or seventh round knockout for Adam Konaki here, as I think he's going to really try to put on a statement performance in a main event slot on a Fox card in New York. So it should be a great night for Konaki and for Robert Hellenius. He just won't have the speed advantage in there. He seems like he'll just be a step too slow as it looked like he was in his knockout loss to Gerald Washington. So we'll see how that fight plays out. And remember, Konaki also has an impressive win over Charles Martin, who we just saw on the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder card score a knockout over Gerald Washington. So, Charles Martin is a quality fighter that Autumn Konaki was able to beat, and by no means is Robert Hellenius the toughest fighter that Konaki has ever faced. And with a big win here, a statement knockout over Hellenius, Konaki could really put his name in the ring to maybe fight some bigger fighters in the future. Maybe he gets his chance at a Dillian White, a Derek Chisora, maybe a young guy too, maybe a Morat Gassiev, perhaps Alexander Usyk. But I think Usyk would win because he just has supreme boxing abilities that most heavyweights can't even match. So it'll be interesting to see where Konaki goes if he does indeed get the big win over Hellenius. So tune into that card which will be a Fox card, as I mentioned before, on upcoming this Saturday on March 7th. And now moving on from boxing and back into the UFC. On March 7th, from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, we have UFC 248, Adesanya vs. Romero. The main event is a pay-per-view card that starts at 7 p.m., the prelims start at 5 p.m., so you're going to want to tune into these fights because it's a pretty strong card. And let me start out with the co-main event. It will be for the women's strawweight title between the champion Zhang Weili, a Chinese fighter 
against a Polish fighter in Joanna Jurezic. And looking at the measurables for this fight, Wiley is five foot four, 115 pounds, with a 63-inch reach, while her opponent Jurezic is 5'6", 115 pounds, with a 65.5-inch reach. And what really impresses me about Wei Li is that she was able to take advantage of her opportunities when they were put forth in front of her. Wei Li is a Chinese fighter, and it only took her four fights to become the UFC strawweight women's champion after she defeated Jessica Andrade via first-round TKO. Uh, That was back in August of 2019, and she'll be making her return to the ring against the great Joanna Uresic, who has also been in some great fights herself. And Wei Li just seems to move at a different speed than most of her opponents. She's very quick in there, and looking at her record, she has 20 wins and one loss. Ten of those wins have come by knockout, seven by submission, and three by decision. So what these wins show me is that Wei Li can get it done on the feet with her hands or on the mat as she does have some great submission victories as she is able to lock up chokes with her small frame very well. And it's going to be hard for Uresic to really keep. I expect it's going to be a close fight that could possibly go to a decision. So look out for a very competitive strawweight title fight. And then looking at the odds for this fight... Wei Li is a slight favorite at minus 180, while her opponent Uresic is an underdog at plus 150. So clearly the odds makers think this is going to be a close fight. Ultimately, I like Wei Li to win this fight, and I'm going to say by late knockout, a fourth or fifth round knockout for Wei Li, just because I think she has more stamina and endurance than Uresic, and she can win in a lot of ways. She can win on the mat. She can win on the feet. She could most likely win a decision because I suspect she would outstrike Uresic. I also think she has better stamina than Uresic and is really on the way up. A fighter that could do a lot of great things in the sport, but it all starts with another win in her first title defense against Uresic. Uresic is really going to want to use her size and reach advantage to try to keep the oncoming champion at bay in Wei Li. So we'll see how successful she will be in that. Yurisic really is a great stand-up fighter that's able to use a lot of kicks and straight jabs to really use her reach advantage to keep her opponents at bay as she is usually the taller fighter in there. And this will once again be true against Wei Li as she will be two inches shorter than Uresic going into their fight. But we'll see how much that really matters, because like I said, I think Wei Li will have the strength advantage. She'll have the speed advantage. I think she'll be the better wrestler. The fight does go to the mat. The only way that I can see Uresic really winning this fight is if she's able to land a lot of kicks and punches and really keep her opponent on the outside. But if this becomes an inside fight, we've seen Wei Li able to use a variety of elbows and punches to really get closer to her opponent. And Wei Li showed in her last fight against Andrade that she can win in the clinch as she was able to clinch Andrade and land some vicious knees on her that would soon spell the end of the fight. So we'll see if Uresic can have some more fundamentally sound defense and try not to meet the same fate as Andrade did in their last fight. Uresic, however, does have the experience advantage over her opponent as she has had some more fights in the UFC. She beat the former champion Jessica Andrade by unanimous decision. She also got an impressive win over Carolina Kozaki, a unanimous decision win. And then after that, she suffered a TKO loss to Rose Namajunas. And then in the rematch, a unanimous decision loss again to Rose Namajunas. 
She followed that up with the unanimous decision over Tisa Torres and then a unanimous decision loss against the great Valentina Shevchenko. And she's coming off a unanimous decision win over Michelle Watterson. And that was back in October of 2019. And that was a strawweight fight against Watterson. So she should be ready to fight at that low weight once again at 115 pounds. And we'll see who really the best fighter is. Because I could see this fight going either way. If Whaley gets caught early on with a big punch or gets knocked down, it could be Joanna's night. If Whaley's able to get off more of her combinations and maybe get some clinch work and get on the inside, I could see her winning. But like I said before, I'm going to pick the Chinese fighter who I really think is on the up and up. And I'm going to say fourth or fifth round knockout for the current champion, Whaley. So I really encourage you to tune into that coming main event between two of the best women fighters in all of the UFC so it should be a great fight a lot of action and if Whaley does indeed get a win here over Uresic I'd love to see a rematch against Andrade or perhaps she takes on Rose Namajunas to really prove that she is the best small fighter in the world at 115 pounds I'd even love to see Wei Li move up in weight if she does indeed become victorious against Uresic and fight at 125 pounds and take on the champion there, Valentina Shevchenko, because I think a fight between Zhang and Shevchenko would actually be competitive because Wei Li is such a competitive and such an agile fighter in there, very fast. She often has a speed advantage over most of her opponents. And I think a great kickboxer like Cheshenko would actually put up a challenge and it would be a competitive fight for both fighters because we've seen in recent fights that Cheshenko is just several steps above the opponents that she's put in the octagon against. So it'd be great to see Cheshenko in a competitive fight. And I really think that Wei Li, right now, the champion at 115 pounds, could really give Cheshenko a run for her money at 125 pounds so we'll see if that fight does happen and we'll see what Dana White and the rest of the UFC wants to do with uh, the women fighters and the great pool of women fighters that all are all of a sudden emerging as women's MMA has just exploded and become bigger and bigger and they're really thought of at the same level as the men which is really how it should be in combat sports and I really think across all sports. So in the co-main event, I'm picking Zhang Weili to win by fourth round TKO. And then moving on from that fight and into the main event, we have a middleweight main event title fight between the great Israel Adesanya taking on Yoel Romero. Looking at the odds for this fight, Adesanya is a favorite at minus 320. Romero is an underdog at plus 250. Adesanya is 6'4", 185 pounds with an 80-inch reach. His opponent, Romero, is only 6 feet with 185 pounds and a 73.5-inch reach. Adesanya, in his short UFC career, is already one of the best fighters in the world, and he's proven that as he quickly moved up the middleweight ranks. It only took Adesanya seven fights to become the UFC middleweight champion, which is really quite astounding considering there wasn't really too much hype going on for him early on in his career, but quickly the hype train kept building and building with each TKO or knockout victory that Israel Adesanya was getting. And in his most recent fights, it's really made him quite the star in the UFC because looking at his record, he got a unanimous decision win over the legend Anderson Silva and then followed that up with the fight of the year in 2019, a unanimous decision win over a game, a very competitive Calvin Gastelum. And then in his most recent fight, he won the unified UFC middleweight champion, Championship over Robert Whitaker via second round knockout 
And that was back in October of 2019. So Israel Adesanya will be making his return to the octagon after his star-making performance against Robert Whitaker to become the middleweight champion. And against Whitaker, it was clear that Adesanya had the speed advantage, had the striking advantage, and also had better defensive instincts than the former champion in Robert Whitaker. We had never really seen anyone make Whitaker look so bad and miss with so many of his striking, but that's really what Adesanya can do to great fighters. He can make them look ordinary because of his extraordinary gifts as a fighter. Adesanya is able to read distance very well. He's able to be very spatially aware of where he is in the octagon and of where his opponent is and how far and how close he needs to be in order to land his strikes. And he showed beautiful counter-striking against Robert Whitaker, landing a few combination punches as Whitaker was coming forward. That soon spelled the end of the fight for Whitaker, and it was really a great performance from Adesanya in what most expected to be a competitive fight, but really it was more one-sided for Adesanya, who really is on the up and up in his UFC career and the sky really is the limit for this guy because he's one of the most talented fighters in the UFC and it's really going to take a really special performance to knock him to knock him out or to make him lose and the fight that I really want to see is not so much at middleweight at 185 pounds it's at 205 pounds and that fight is between John Jones and Israel Adesanya if Adesanya can get up to 205 pounds and feel comfortable fighting at that weight, then why not make the fight against John Jones, the greatest light heavyweight that the UFC has ever seen? Because I think it would actually be a competitive fight that really could go either way because both Adesanya and John Jones are really fighting geniuses. But getting back to this fight against Yoel Romero, Yoel Romero is also one of the best light heavyweights in the world as he I mean excuse me middleweights in the world as he's fought for the title before against Robert Whitaker but actually lost to Robert Whitaker twice both by decision one was a unanimous decision loss the other was a split decision loss and then after that most recent split decision loss to Robert Whitaker he lost a unanimous decision to Pablo Costa also another great middleweight and Paulo Costa was actually supposed to get the title shot against Adesanya following his win over Romero. Unfortunately for Costa, a bicep injury knocked Costa out of the running to get the next title shot. And graciously enough, Adesanya granted it to the great UFC veteran in Yoel Romero. And looking at Yoel Romero's record, he has 13 wins. 11 of those have come by knockout, two by decision, and four losses, one by knockout, and three by decision. So this shows that it's going to be really hard for Romero to get another win because he's already lost to Whitaker twice and also to Paulo Costa. Guys that Adesanya has been in Whitaker and most likely would be in Costa. And Romero is really getting up there in age as he is already 42 years old, which is pretty old, especially in the fighting game. So we'll see how much that affects him going into this fight against Adesanya, who is right now 30 years old. So it should be a competitive fight as Romero always puts on competitive fights, whether or not he wins or loses. That's a different story. But this is going to be a great middleweight title fight. And I expect Adesanya to get the win. A unanimous decision win over Yoel Romero. Just because I think Romero is very durable in there. It's going to be very hard for Adesanya to get a knockout against such a durable fighter like Romero. Who likes to push the pace. Who likes to fight on the inside. And can also score takedowns and land kicks. He has a lot of variety to his striking game but I think the four inch height advantage for Adesanya and his superior timing and his longer reach will just be too much for Romero to overcome because I think Adesanya could choose to fight the fight in 
both ways. He could choose to fight in close range, or he could choose the safer route, which is to keep the dangerous Romero at a distance and fight him using his reach and his kicks to really make Romero hurt in there and really take a beating. So I'm expecting another star-making performance for Adesanya, as he is one of the most special fighters in the UFC. And as I said previously, the fight that I personally really want to see is Israel Adesanya versus John Jones. So we'll see if that fight happens, because if Adesanya would win that fight, he would become a double champion at middleweight at 185 pounds, and then at lightweight at 205 pounds. But let me not get too ahead of myself, and I'm really looking forward to UFC 248 from Las Vegas. So tune into that card, and uh, the co-main event and the main event are both title fights. So this is going to be a really big night for the UFC, and I'm expecting both champions to retain their belts in Wei Lee and then also Adesanya. And Romero has really been in a lot of wars he has a lot of miles on his body, and it could finally start to catch up to him. And even though he was very competitive against Paulo Costa, I feel like a younger Romero would have got Costa out of there and beat him handedly. But since he is getting up there in age, he doesn't quite have the speed or explosive advantages that he had over most fighters earlier on in his career. But Romero is still one of the most physically imposing figures in all of the UFC as he is just a mountain of muscles. So we'll see how his strong frame does against the slighter frame and the faster hands of Adesanya who has shown to be just a great striker with ridiculous and accurate timing as he showed against Robert Whitaker and then again against Calvin Gastelum and I'm expecting nothing different against Joao Romero. I expect Adesanya to be able to get his striking off and able to get in and out of range as he does so so beautifully with his amazing head movement. So tune in to UFC 248 coming on March 7th. It's going to be a strong fight card. And thank you so much for listening, my fellow believers. This will conclude episode 8 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. Thank you so much for listening. And check back next week as there's more great fights coming up. Mamba forever, Kobe forever. Thank you so much and have a great week. And enjoy the fights coming up this Saturday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.